Oh, nice to hear from you. Did you memorize the scriptures I gave you? Eh, no. I said, well, you got something to work on before we talk again. Uh, we'll be in touch next time. I'm busy right now. Thank you. And then they sometimes will not call me back. Or they'll call me back and say, hello. Yes, hello. Yes, hey, let's start some business. <sighs> okay, did you do what I told you to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let me hear it. And then they share with me. Okay, now, now I'll give you five minutes of your time. What are you thinking? Okay. Yeah, your ideas are good. Maybe here's some practical ways you can go about starting your business, da 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 And then we, you know, talk, and they're like, yeah, thank you. Hey, I want to talk to you again. I've said any time. Just, just message me, and then I'll send you some scriptures, because I really like it when you are just, your, your heart's prepared, because then you're more ready to hear what the wisdom that God has to speak to you. And so I care about your business. I care about your family. But more than that, I care about your eternal soul. And they appreciate that, and it cuts out the time wasters. And so if I were to come here, like let's say we have free time, then, hey, let's come together as, as a fellowship, as brothers, as sisters. Let's start training through some materials. So simple materials we already have, you know, uh, life, history, Bible doctrines. And just starting to study and learn and grow is an easy way to help people along. So I will not waste time counseling somebody who's a rebel. So if I'm trying to give marital counseling and the couple says, we do not want to hear the scriptures, we will not obey God, And I said, well, uh, you're wasting my time then because I don't have any wisdom of my own. I'm only going to share the word of God with you. If you're a rebel and you're not walking in obedience to the truth of God that is clear and known and accepted among the churches, then we note that man and have no fellowship with them. Right? There's some point. So there's simple ways. And so I was sharing, you know, like if you're at a church where the people, where you meet your friends and you're witnessing to your friends, whatever they be, Catholic or whatever other funny thing, if they're in a professed Christian church in heresy, I encourage people the same way I preach to all Christians to, to get them saved or find out if they're saved and let the witness of the Spirit be there. Ask these questions. How is your prayer life? How is your time in the Word of God? Do you love the Lord? How is your prayer time? And if they're like, yeah, 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 it's really great. Then I'm like, okay, well, let's go to the step further. Okay, how is your life of obedience? Um, what do you feel like God's been leading you in these days? What, what areas of your life are you obedient? What areas of your life are disobedient? And the, some of the hardest people I've found to preach to are the Pentecostals. Because they have so much sensation and hype and excitement, and yet they can drown out their sins, not even look at them or think about them, and yet they have the spiritual sensation. You can live in fornication and be running around casting out evil spirits and all these other things. It's the hardest thing in the world to show them sin because they have so much excitement, and it must be the Holy Ghost. They have sensation. It must be the Holy Ghost. Good things are happening. must be the Holy Ghost. And so they won't listen, <laughs> interestingly. But when I meet people, I encourage them to walk practically in obedience to the truth of God. They know, how is your prayer life? How is your time in the Word? And that's an easy starting point. Then they know that I care for their soul more than just trying to teach them what I think they should learn. Uh, they kind of understand, like, hey, unless you have a salvation experience and a relationship with Christ, you're going to hell. And so that's a very easy, simple point to shoot, one bullet to shoot, but it's a barbed arrow because you can always just come back and just... You know, wiggle that arrow once in a while. You don't even have to preach the point again. You just come and say, hey, so we talk us, how is your relationship with the Lord doing? <laughs> and and you know, it's amazing. But when people start walking in obedience to the truth of God, they know, then you can steer them forward. You cannot steer a parked car. And so many people are rebellious, but they don't know it until something confronts their desire for something else. 
And so it's very interesting. Um, so I found those things to be very profitable in ministering to the Christians. And so we go through some training materials, have some biblical things, start learning and growing, and then we start communicating some of the serious issues that, that, that can be a big stumbling block. And music and modesty are two massive stumbling blocks in the church. And so in order to address these things, sometimes we can't just like say, here's the rules, submit or die. Oh, yeah, sometimes we, we should have done that long ago. We should have said this is what our church believes. This is why we believe it. And have the brothers together in one heart and one mind. Now, sadly, we hadn't had that because we have a lot of radical groups that were extreme. And then people break out of those groups, you know, like so many fellowships of Mennonite, Hutterite, Amish kind of get saved, born again. Their family excommunicates them. And so they just had these con- uh, conservative convictions because they came from that, but not because it's anchored in the word of God and they really believe it. And so then when it becomes more and more enjoyable liberty in Jesus, then slowly everything else goes off, right? Sometimes clothes and music, make them movies and whatever else, you name it. Um, and I know you guys are wanting to be godly and conservative, but how fast people throw off a lot of convictions because it's not something real in their heart. And so that's something we need to start communicating. Like, what do we do and why do we do it? You know, if we talk about some things, okay, well, we came from a principle of a covering. Okay, well, here's the passages of Scripture. What are we doing with them? So if you're not wearing something on your head, what are you doing about it? If you, if you believe that it's long hair, do you have a long hair as a covering? And are you living in the spiritual representation of it? Do you have the submission to your husband? Right? I mean, loud, clear thing. Like, are you just throwing these scriptures out or are you actually seeking to apply? Like, okay, do you have the long hair? And if you have a shaved head or you're bald, then wear a covering. <laughs> I mean... There's a lot of practical applications, but we can't just take the scriptures lightly and throw them out. So there's some practical things we can communicate, and all people could say, yeah, okay. It's strange, I didn't know about it, but hey, I'll pray about it. Or, you know, hey, that's pretty neat, that's cool, I like that. Or, wow, that's interesting. But at least it gives some starting point where we can talk and pray. And so I feel like we have a lot of godly people that are just kind of drifting because of abuse, like people abusing them and children abusing and other churches abusing and other Christians abusing. And so people are like, well, I have these convictions, but I don't want to impose them on others. Well, that's sad when people get so abused because of their convictions. And I pray that you guys would find that joy and freedom to be able to encourage each other to love Jesus and to, to practically pray that out. Be connected to a body. Because if you look right now at the condition of all the churches, the spiritual, spiritual atmosphere is going downward. And we are in desperate need of that practical application of truth. But I'm not going to strain at gnats and swallow camels. If you're not born again, you need to be born again. If you're, if you're not walking in obedience to this ABC, how can we talk about some things that could biblically be debated or could be misunderstood or could be understood differently? We could give a little grace for that, but you're living in sin. So we're not just going to just blow it over and start arguing about XYZ. Let's talk about ABC. <laughs> and so I think those are some serious points, and people respect that. Like, okay, you don't like my clothing and my attitude and my music, but then when you tell me to, to go clean my room, I throw a fit and say I'd rather fight and, and do my own thing rather than listen to you. Well, we have other issues to deal with, dearie, not just <laughs> X, Y, Z. You're being disobedient right now, and you need to be obedient. And so it shows the rebellion that's in the heart. And so once that rebellion is in, dealt with and counseled and instructed, then there can be a lot of other things, and it's very painful. And I really weep that the church is being destroyed by a couple few rebels in the church. I mean, just a few people with bad attitudes. And my, what a little leaven, leaven a whole lump. I mean, what bitterness, what church splits, what fights, what contentions, all for what? Just because a few little rebels beat their parents enough till their parents cry, and parents ask the leaders, do we have to do this, and what do we do, and how do we do it? And leaders say, it's my way or the highway, and so they say, I'll try it. And then they go home, and they try to fight their children again, and they're like, 
The little rebels destroy the whole good. I mean, it's amazing. I've watched it again and again. I'm not just trying to be a joker. And I really, really, really feel your pain. And I, I just, I love you. I'm so grateful when people want to communicate godly truth for the sake of the salvation of souls. And it is hard. It's hard sometimes. Right? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the issues of music are mind-blowing. I just found so many that just throw off their parents' convictions. Now, my parents were ungodly. And they said, your music's not good. And I'm like, who are you? You know, I'm praying like 12 hours a day, and you don't even pray like in 12 days. And so, you know, they, there was no example. But when somebody finally brought some godly stuff to me, actually, it was a dead man. Hallelujah. God uses dead men. Right? I listened to Leonard Ravenhill preaching some fiery message. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I walk with God, and this is truth, and I love it. And he's quoting these hymns, and I'm like, yeah. And then I, he said about the the... John Wesley and his fire with God and his, the hymns of Charles Wesley. And, and then I'm with Teen Challenge and I'm in the church and I'm like, okay, open up this Methodist hymnal. I say, like, this song is sung by Charles Wesley. Wow, I should tell these guys. They're like, look at what you're singing. Their collar is backwards and they looked all backslidden and the, the atmosphere was dead spiritually. They had no life with God. They were as dead as dead can be. And I was heartbroken. And then I opened the front of the hymnal and saw that this was started by John Wesley. That's when it clicked with me, because at that time I didn't have any church history. And so I realized John Wesley started the Methodist church. Here's this Methodist pastor. John Wesley would roll over in his grave if he saw this compromise. And he said in the beginning of his songbook, don't sing these songs as though you're half dead or half asleep. Can I read that out loud? But I was, I'm representing Teen Challenge, so humbly I came in and out, but I was shocked in that time. But it was a dead man that encouraged me. And I started reading and meditating on the hymns, and I said, this is deep substance. I never would have known it from the churches that I had seen. Never would have known it. I thought it was just this dead music from dead people and really low and slow and boring. Extreme. Well, God help us. So usually when I'm leading the songs or teaching the songs, I share through a song. Let's focus on the truths that we're singing, and then let's sing them. And that really helped the young people catch it like, hey, that's good. And then they enjoyed singing it. Otherwise, we just say, okay, let's sing another song, blah, blah, blah. Sing half dead and half asleep. And we end up with that. Um, so back to that question, what can you do to strengthen your family or the church if you're with the church? Well, um, you know, if you're not the leader, you can pray. Um, if you're matured, if you're respected in the church, if you're a guy, you could take some of the materials and maybe start teaching through some materials. But you need a fire from God. You need an anointing of the Holy Ghost. You need a fiery prayer life. Amen. And then you can go and you can teach solid materials. The leaders will be happy. You're doing something good to strengthen the church, no matter where they're at. You know, I'm always fishing. You know, when I go to some church and I was part of a church, I'm looking, is there anyone born again here? Is there anyone that wants to pray? He's my friend. And we meet at the altar and we pray. So I, I was asked to take over a little Methodist church once. And so there was two people that were alive there, spiritually. And there, there was about four people that were half dead. And then the, the rest were just purely, period dead. And so I appreciated the woman who was leading the Bible studies and teaching and preaching. She said, you're a, you're a godly man. Here. She gave me the materials and books. I said, why? She said, because we've been praying for you. And now you came. I'm like, okay, I'm just in the church. I was just cleaning the floors just because I joined with the church. And she gave me the books and said, teach it. A couple of living people and then more people were getting stirred up. But uh, it was a system that was unstoppable. And they said, we'd rather kill the church and sell the land. So... So that was it. I was on my way to India anyways. God knew. 
But um, it's interesting how when you start to present truth, you can really bring reviving. Be full of fire. Um, you can bring good materials. Um, it's very hard otherwise. Um, because if you even, I mean, obviously we need a lot more recorded. Now you were looking in a different day, okay? My days, right? Back in the days when we didn't have all this MP3 available for free. You know, there's only a few different websites and we could just barely get the Bible. Um, now you've got everything available everywhere on YouTube. But we needed more audio, more sober, godly songs available for everyone. So that if even if you didn't know the song, you could learn it. That's a blessing. And so that really carries a lot of power when you communicate one little, two little seeds of truth and encourage people to sing and pray through these songs. So the same I share with people, if you know these songs, you know many hymns, then you need to go back over the hymns and pray through the words because you probably know them too well and you can sing them half dead or half asleep, even though you sound beautiful, right? So if you know them really well, go back and read through them and let it burn in you. If you know the scriptures really well, still go back and read and pray over it. Amen. It's a blessing. And that will help the church. And if you are wanting to walk with God, one in two people can be a powerful sway in the church when you find people that want to get born again. But now you might have a church split. You know, if you get on fire, you might get some souls. People might get saved and want to come to your church and be changed. And then the church has difficulties and sufferings. And then all of a sudden the church says, uh, you guys get out of here or we're going. You know, a lot of interesting things I've seen. But um, when the church starts really walking with God, with a burden for souls and seeing people saved or reaching out to sinners, then it puts us more on this readiness of offensive, right? We're fighting beings. We, as Christians, are made to be fighting. And if we're not fighting against the devil, we're fighting against each other over petty things. And so in our prayer meetings, if we're not laboring for souls, we're just missing the vision. We're not caring for our brother, sister, soul, he in the church, nor are we caring for the outside. But when we're ready to war, we can have a unity. And so, um, sadly, there's a lot of people that don't want a war, and they don't want disturbance, and they don't want any disruption to their system. So if you disturb anything, just get out of here, is kind of what they say. Um, so, yeah, God bless you. I love you. You're going to suffer a lot everywhere God leads you. But it can be a valuable spreading. And thank God for some godly materials that are very straightforward and simple and that many churches can um, receive. And I pray that even the teaching like what we have, I would add a lot to it. So if it were my course, I, if I wasn't the one preaching or teaching, I'd probably add a lot more meat to it. Right now, it's just a nice skeleton of, of biblical truth, which is good. But, you know, it's not going to carry the spiritual authority unless you have a good fire from God. And so the same with any good Bible teaching. Oh, it's really based on your character. I'll share more tonight. Anyways, I'll preach tonight. Any more questions? <sighs> I had one about um, what you said earlier about vows to God. Mm. Um, I'm just curious, like, are there any, like, like examples of those vows that you want to share? Mm. I don't know who had the Bible here. Somebody had maybe the Tozer Bible or something. But Tozer had mentioned five vows. He said that you do good to make and to keep before God. And one of them was to never touch the glory, to always give God the glory in all things. Um, uh, he said never to pass anything on about somebody else that could hurt them. And another couple that unfortunately I can't remember, um, there are a lot of practical things. Now, obviously, these are, this is our relationship with God. So the same when you get married, you have covenant vows, right? You made communications, and you make commitment and covenant with each other. No matter how your emotions go, you are bound together. And God said, you're one flesh. And unless you die, this bond isn't broken. And so, I mean, we're talking serious communication. Now, I don't think that Christians need to make vows. 
And the Bible discourages making vows like that. We shouldn't be careless. The Bible even speaks about sections that, like, if you hear your wife say a vow before God, you better run and catch it quick and say, God, I disagree with her. Lord, I'm sorry. She didn't know what she was saying. I break that vow. <laughs> your unmarried daughter says some vow before God. You better catch it and break it and say, God, she doesn't, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Lord, let her go. And then it's broken. So no matter what they've spoken has been broken. I mean, there's something serious about making a vow. And the scripture says, you know, better that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And we see in scripture some few crazy things that happened and foolish things that happened because people were radical to keep their vows. So I think it's something we should be careful of. And I don't, you know, necessarily encourage it. But we should remember and realize that we are bound by covenant vows. When you say, Lord Jesus Christ, you are saying he is the Lord of your life. Right, those are unbreakable vows. You can't just say, today you're my Lord, and uh, tomorrow, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're a child of God, you are bound by covenant vows. And so that is it, that you're, you're, you're surrendered to him, you're covenanted with him, right? And I mean, even to bring it to the extremity, you are dead and you're buried together with him by baptism into death. And so, I mean, you're talking some serious vows. Now you are dead to this body. So you're not just going to live for your own appetites. You're going to deter to what God wants more than what you want. That's pretty extreme. I mean, so we need to refresh people on the reality of salvation and commitment to God, wholehearted surrender, and so on. Um, now, God's merciful with ignorance and vows. So sometimes people uh, have made vow, God, I'll never get married because I'm just going to be single for you. And, and they, they utter things carelessly. And I don't believe that God holds people to that and saying, now you have to do every single thing you ever uttered since you were a little child. Um, God's merciful in our ignorance. And uh, even our youthful zeal, our ignorant zeal, God can be merciful to. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that God forgives, and he doesn't hold us to, and so on. But we need to be very aware of that, and we should teach our young children that. That, you know, there's certain important things like vows, like marriage vows, where we are committing and covenanting one with another, and they cannot be broken. That's why they have to be of age, right? So a five-year-old that makes a marriage vow to another five-year-old, we don't, we disannul that. It doesn't fly. You didn't understand your commitment, your covenant. And so many of the divorces in India go like that. The little 10-year-old girl said, I divorced my husband because he was a monster. Like you were married at 10 years old. Well, then your vows didn't mean anything anyways. You didn't understand anything. I mean, the child marriage stuff is decreasing, but it's still there. And it's a tragedy. One of my students was 19 years old, had like five children already. His oldest child, or, or he had quite a few children, and his oldest was five years old. I said, five years old? Like, how old was your wife? And she's like this little girl. And I was just like, wow, how did she live so many years? Have so many times. Started counting. And then I said, when did you get married? And, and I don't remember all the numbers and ages, but it was crazy. He had, uh, when she was like 12 or something, she had her first child. And they're just village people. And I'm, I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. So we've got it pretty good. So I think that you need to, you can write out some things before God, like, Lord, I see that you are to be my Lord and that I'm to be led by your spirit. If we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you should live. And as many as are born by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. Those that are led by the spirit are the children of God and so on. You could say, okay, Lord, these are some commands you've given, some clear principles of scriptural truth. I bind my heart this tide. I think I read that hymn, but a very serious oath and covenant with the body of Christ and with each other. And I pray that we would take things very seriously in the body. And that's what we need to do. We need to present these truths and refresh the memory on it. Because when we really look at all of these things in their whole, it really refreshes a unity. Right? I bind my heart this tide to the Galilean side and to the cross of Calvary. The Lamb died for me and to my brother near at hand and in this home and in this land. 
I mean, there's something of a blessing, of a bond, of a covenant that's strong. And you and I are bonded together in a covenant. And we can't just disannul that. We can't just throw that off easily. Amen. Any other question? Yes, ma'am. No, most went to hell, already were there. Like So some, many people would leave the program, they'd be alive for maybe a year or two years, and they'd die. And so, yeah, I was there, uh, you know, as somebody born again, and I was an accountability partner after being there shortly, and then preaching to the brothers, like, hey, you came here, now you're here to change. If you want to change, this is what God wants. So here's this little 18-year-old kid preaching to these that seemed like they really came sincere. So I just spoke with clarity and authority and encouraged and so on, and and... Yeah, sadly, many, many would leave the program and just, they'd crash. We'd get reports in the newspaper. They'd get reports here and there that they're dead. You remember that guy that left last week? He's dead. You also don't play with God. You know, don't leave here foolishly. Choose to surrender and repent. Otherwise, it could be your life also. You'd be straight in hell. And so um, I don't actually know even one of those that ever hated and abused me that really ever walked with God. Not a one of them. And so, you know, there's, there's spirits in this world, and there's a spirit of Antichrist. There are many Antichrists. You will know them by their fruits. Some Antichrists are good preachers, but you'll know them by their fruits and how their, their preaching doesn't lead to the end of righteousness, but destruction. Many people make a name for themselves so they can touch the glory, and God won't honor that. And so, yeah, very sad. Very interestingly, I mean, I was at Bible college, and God showed me a lot of things deep wild. You know, I was fervent in prayer and intercession. I was since I got saved, thank God. So I gave serious time for prayer and fasting, and God said, love your enemies. And I thought, how am I going to be a Christian? I'm like, I used to fight, and you know, somebody would give me the look and like, fight. <laughs> and so then these guys would just come, and I mean, I was still like my height maybe, but you know, this is America, and many of these guys are big, and they're all, give me this angry face. And I was locked up for a long time with a lot of people like this, so it's just like... Then the way they look at me and the way they talk to me is just like, just, and I just prayed, God, how can I love my enemies? Sometimes they trap me in the bathroom, and I'm just like, okay, Lord, help me. I know something's not right here. Oh, yeah, sure enough, okay. And they're like, God gave me grace to get out. And I was like, later, I, you know, I would pray and cry, help me to love my enemies. But I was like, looking back later, like, wow, I made it out of there. Yeah, otherwise, in the past, they wouldn't have made it out of there. Like, thank God he changed my heart, you know. Like, so I was like, I am saved, you know. You guys, I'm not gonna let you go to hell without praying for you, too. So I, I prayed and I fasted. God, help me to love my enemies because it was hard to let go of that bitterness that drove me, that anger, that hatred, and so on. So, yeah, praise God. Yes, ma'am. Always, yeah, like leeching like crazy. Now, I know of a friend who knew Benny Hinn's maid who cleaned his house and had, like, pure gold faucets and just, I mean, billions of dollars waste in his in his mansions. I think he had, like, three or four mansions and whatever else. And it's just like, wow, what, what accountability before God. I mean, look at how much money John Wesley made. And when he died, he had, like, six-pound notes, six silver spoons, and nothing else, you know, a handful of books. But they printed hymnals, they built churches, they sent out missionaries, they strengthened the church of God, and he labored diligently. You know, that's why I appreciate some people that will actually work hard and, and live frugal. And even though their housing might not be big, their hearts are big, and they're happy to take people in for fellowship, for meetings, for communion, or be a, a wayside. You know? 
Right, like, like Randy's place, like Randy's also loving to serve people. Hey, you're coming through. Come, you know, let's pray. And people are like, cool, we can stop on the way and meet the noise and so on. I mean, right? Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to use your time and energy wisely and not just build an elaborate mansion for yourself and just sit back and enjoy, but say, hey, we're open for fellowship. Who's passing through? Stop, stop. Hallelujah. Yeah, I thank God for that. And so may God give us all that heart of hospitality and a readiness to spend our time and energy and mind and money wisely. I mean, I don't know how many rich people you know, but I know most of the churches that I go to, they're very well to do. And if they even lived, if they even would tithe 10% of their money, it would build a church. It could build 10 churches in another country. It could set up, you know, 20 more businesses. I mean, there's so much that could be done. What are we doing with what we have? Do you realize the judgment hammer is going to fall on that? You're going to be judged according to the resource God gave you. Whew. But God help us to have that heart to just serve. Let us be that example. And so when we see it and it's presented to us like, hey, this is hospitality. This is a good example of hospitality and spending and giving and serving and not wanting something in return. That's an example. And we say, oh, Jesus, I want that in my life. Amen. Right? You guys want to be hospitable. I mean, do you have a room in your tent? If we swing by, then, hey, we're, we're with you. It's about fellowship, you know? It's not about how much you had. Abraham had enough care to build some altar and make some cakes and cook some stuff for the angels. I mean, praise God. His wife might have laughed, but she had good reason to laugh, but God rebuked her for it, and she sat rebuked, and she repented, and she was blessed. Well, at least we'll give you more than just a rock bed when you come to India. God is good. Any thoughts or questions? I like sharing time. I like open time. I love people, even though I preach sometimes fiery. I am a lovable person, just to let you know. Sometimes they used to think that I was under the law. And that's why I'm quite concerned for women and supreme powers of leadership with no men like around them or under them. So the Bible school was also run by a woman and she was into this greasy grace, basically this lovey-dovey and don't let the children be condemned. And so this message by David Wilkerson is hard. Let's not show it to the young people and they would push it down. They'd suppress it. And I never cared. I was never judging, but you know, I came from a wild background and I had the wildest, most ungodly roommate. I mean, you talk about... Every rule that you could break, he broke it. You know, you're not supposed to have a guitar in your room or something. He's got his electric guitar and amp, and you're not supposed to play your little guitar after such and such a time. And he's like on power chords, like he just jamming away, and he pulls out some switchblade knife and he's flipping, flopping. I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Who made you come here? This is not a jail. If you don't like it here, get out of here. Uh, I prayed for him fervently and I preached to him, but they, the, the leaders said, "You are condemning him." I said, well, I was voted vice president of the class, and we have a document that says this is the duty of the president and vice president, and we are to manage the student body and things that are not extreme violations. So to run over from the boys' side and go talk to the girls is a violation. And I said, them that sin rebuke before all, so as he would run across the room to sit and chit-chat with the girls, all the guys are watching him like, whoa, what did he just do? And some girls would actually feed in. And so the open rebuke was good for him and the girls that are chatting with him. But then they said, you're policing him. And they started abusing me. I said, well, I said, if in a structured atmosphere where rules are very clear, if you will be a rebel here, when you get out of this atmosphere, you will flourish in rebellion. Even though you might not look as bad as the world, if you cannot submit in a structured atmosphere with clear, whatever, guidelines or rules, 
then it shows there's a rebellion in the heart. Amen. You can deal with that now. And so I was very quiet and gentle with the leaders. And I said, well, you know, I've been through Teen Challenge. I've worked with them. And I've seen these things consistently. If somebody's living in such rebellion and they won't respond to rebuke one-on-one, two-on-one, then it's dangerous and they'll be destroyed. And so sure enough. And do you know, they kicked that kid out after two years. I would have thrown him out after two days. Maybe two weeks, just in case there might have been something redeemable there. You know what's even more wild? They threw me out a week later. Somebody said, oh, you disagree with things here. So I said, well, they said, what do you disagree with? So, well, I don't know. I've been here three years. Um, I said, I've never heard a message on hell. I've never heard a message on the wrath of God. I've never heard a message on sin and repentance from sin. I haven't heard a message on how evil sin is. And I said, and I understand before I came, maybe there were some leaders that were really fiery and they preached. And so maybe this is just a pendulum swing, I pray, and that it would just, you know, kind of balance back out and be more biblically balanced. But I said, those are some things, you know, concerning to me. But I said, you know, I don't have anything in my heart against anyone, whatever. And then they talked to the leader and said, this is what he said. And they said, you're gone. Like, pack up your stuff and get out of here. Okay. You can go home for two weeks, and if you can repent, you can come back. I said, okay. Like, repent for what? Like, did I do something wrong? I mean, did I break some rules? Did I, uh, have I slandered somebody? Is there anything you can put against me? I mean, I don't know. God gave me good grace to just sit under that. I mean, I, I saw the writing on the wall. Some of you were talking about the preachers would preach against you. My, oh my, this poor lady, she hated me with a passion, but, but I had an intense face. So one of my friends told me later, I think it's just because you were so intense that you had your Bible in your hand and you were praying fervently and you look, you look angry. Your face is intense. And so maybe she just read my face wrong and she didn't read my heart and she preached against me. You name it, whatever I, whatever I was wearing, whatever I was doing, she would call out every specific thing about me and tell of legalism and, and judgmentalism and whatever I'm like. She's looking at me like, (laughs) but then they asked me, what do you disagree with? And I just like shared. And then they said, you're gone. And poof, I was gone. (laughs) But you know, what's interesting. I, everyone else disappeared, you know, in this type of like atmosphere of only women in authority. So the top leader was a supreme leader. She was a woman with supreme authority. Then underneath her, the next position was a woman. The next position under her was a woman. And then underneath her was a, a wife and her husband and it was quite wild, quite wild. But people would disappear. We'd be like, this is a closed campus. Where did such and such a student go? We look around like they're gone. What happened to them? <laughs> so I was, I was um, famous or notorious. I was, I was respected for godliness. Everyone knew that I loved God and that I walked with God and I was respectful and honorable and whatever else. So they really, everyone looked up to me. So I went down to the cafeteria that, the day after that, like, you know, within 12 hours of them telling me you're cut off, pack up, get out of here immediately and pack up all your stuff to ship. So I went into the cafeteria for breakfast and I greeted everyone there and I said, hello. And I just wanted to tell you guys goodbye. I said, I have been praying for a long time fervently and leadership has also been praying and we have agreed that it is God's will that it's time for me to go. We've agreed together. (laughs) And... (laughs) And so I, so I gave some final words and exhortations and, you know, spoke firmly to them and communicate some zealous truths and 
said, okay, now God bless you guys. Love you. Probably never see or hear from me again. But when I got kicked out, that was at the end of the year. Like I had already finished the schooling. I had finished almost all of my internship, but you couldn't physically graduate with your class until after the internship. And so they went through the yearbook and erased me. They blotted me out of the yearbook. The group pictures, they blotted me out. The singular pictures, they blotted me out. Groups of people with me, they cut me out. They blocked me out. They blotted me out of the book. But hallelujah, God honored me. And oh, I, my, I prayed fervently because, oh, I, like I said, I had enemies, people that didn't like me. So when I graduated Teen Challenge, some leaders just hated me. And my family also, they weren't very godly and they didn't like me either. There's just something about my life that upset them. And so these leaders told them all about me, how he's so spiritually proud and self-righteous and judgmental and he's kind of legalistic and all this and that. So they also looked at me like that. So they'd always corner me and attack me for hours. You're so bad and you're so wrong and you're not cool. You can't even sit with us as a family. You think you're so holy. I said, I didn't say that. I just don't want to watch these evil things on TV. Even if you just like, you know, turn on some classical music, I'll sit with you. But I'm not going to watch this mafia, gangster, drug and alcohol stuff anymore. I said, I'm not going to, I don't want to see this. You're so proud. It's like, okay, well, let's figure out what we can do. And, but it was hard. One or two hours every three or four days. So God allowed many sufferings. And so God gave grace in those things to learn how to be a, more of a doormat. And God gives grace. <laughs> And so I finished that, and then the same thing with Bible school, and then I had no place to go, so oh my, I went back to my family, and woo, my family was fired up. They said, we knew it, we told you, you're not listening to us, you're not hearing us. God is going to destroy you because you're not listening to every warning and every leader you've ever had. You're a rebel, and you're proud, and you're under the law, and I'm like, woo, here we go again. <laughs> You know, and I knew when I was there at teen, when uh, when I was there at Times Square, I knew that this will be absolutely everything. If I talk to this leader and they they say anything against me, or if this school kicks me out, oh my, I'm gonna lose everything. Friends, family, church, school, everyone's gonna be against me. But I said, God, I want to please you more than man. And God never had that situation available at that time for me. But wow, I really did suffer tremendously more, and God blessed me in that. And um, still, I love the Lord. And still, when I was ready to go to India, they. They abused me. He said, how do you know you're hearing from God? You know, everyone thinks they hear from God. I said, well, I believe that right now I'm walking in the will of God and that I'm walking in obedience to him and that I'm loving his word and I'm loving prayer and I feel like I'm walking in obedience and I believe that the Lord is so good that if I was wrong and misunderstanding, he would either bless it or guide it differently or he'd close the door and open another. And so I said, according to a prayer situation, confirmations and so on, I believe this is the way God is leading and God will guide and bless they're like, okay. And even just um, two weeks ago, then they, they were boasting about how somebody's a minister and local minister and, oh, he's so useful. And I think it's worthless to have missionaries overseas. I think it's worthless to have missionaries in India. So he said, no, no, no. I believe in the philosophy of K.P. Ohanan. I said, well, that's great. But he was a hypocrite. He was an excellent preacher, excellent writer. But they gathered in money and they poured it out on ungodly, wicked people just to make names and numbers, and they missed a lot of godliness. Even though a lot was given to children and children's ministry and things like that, that won't return void. God's faithful, and so don't worry about your money lost. Lawsuits went through, and a lot of people got their money back who wanted their money back with Gospel for Asia, and Bridge of Hope, and all that other stuff. Whatever. That's neither here nor there. But they are really far off, and they always have been. And yet people are like, no, he's good. Like he's like, he looks like Greek Orthodox and a big ring that he'd have on his finger and everyone would kiss his pinky ring. And I mean, they burn incense in the church and have a whole bunch of other crazy like Greek Orthodox type stuff. And it's mind blowing. 
And people are saying, nope, that's the way missions should be done. I said, well, the problem is that if we're preaching godliness, we need to have an example of it. And that's why God chooses to use missionaries. He takes somebody from one place and puts them to another place. They're completely different, but yet they're preaching the solid truth and they live the truth. So I felt hurt like, wow, my family's even looking at me like I'm wasting my life. They hear of how I'm suffering in India, and they turn back again and say, see, you're probably not in the will of God, otherwise you'd see fruits. You're probably not in the will of God, otherwise, you know, foreigners, could, in local Indians could do a better job than you're doing. You haven't even seen any fruits. So again, I'm kind of sad as my, I'm sitting there, you know, like the faithful son to God, 16 years in India. I didn't just go for a couple months and say, whoo, it's hot here, let's go back to America. It wasn't what I did, but it's hard. They just said, no, 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 you're just useless there. You should just come back here. I thought, well, thank you, Lord. You are working in their hearts, and they're doing much better now than they were before. And they did come to visit me in India, so that's really unique. And they loved it so much, they said they want to come back again. I thought, wow, well, that's good. Well, God's faithful. But God has specific plans he wants to bring out of our lives, but we're going to suffer. Hallelujah. So I'm sorry. Um, I have put my phone number here. My handwriting was really bad, and there was a pile of clothes there, too, so I wrote pretty crazy. But WhatsApp or Signal are the two messaging apps, and you can read my numbers even though they're pretty fancy. If I write on a bigger board, I can do a little bit better. So don't judge me by that. Usually I write in cursive, and it looks really nice. It's just a waste of time to be so fancy and so on. So my phone number is an Indian phone number. It starts with a plus symbol. Plus 91 is the country code, and then my phone number is 999-704-8585. Okay. Load that number, save it in a contact, and then if you're using Signal, you'll find that within the contact, or if you're using WhatsApp, you can find that within the contact, and I want you guys to be in touch, and I think it's good for people to be able to start easily communicating, so that, say, I can share something with you, you can easily share it on some messaging app to share it with your other friends and families, so it's a neat opportunity to really stay connected, you can share with me your prayer request, what's going on in your life, you know, we don't care about anything, you know, if you're ladies and you want to share personal things, you can chat with my wife, that's not a problem. But um, you can just message us, and I can give my phone. You want to pray for us, we're happy to have the prayer, and you want prayer, we're happy to pray for you. Amen. So we want relationships. We're here for a short time with all your beautiful faces. But when we go back to India, you guys aren't there, but you're still with each other. So don't forget us when you enjoy your friends and your family and your church and your songs and when you have your lovely, comfortable life here. Don't forget those that are suffering affliction as being yourselves also in the body. You know, send me pictures of your steaks and cakes and donuts and, and your lawnmower and whatever else you got going on. You know, like remember people on the other side of the world. It's a refreshing for us uh, to know that we're not alone. At least we're in people's hearts. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I don't want to keep you guys here, but uh, any, it's 3.30. Praise God. Any other thoughts or questions? We can go for another three, four hours. Meeting doesn't start until 7. And I'm ready then. Yeah, yep. I mean, we could fit, you know, they're Indians, they could fit. We could fit probably 30, but I don't know if the water system would hold. Um, we have bed facility for 12, and we could throw on the floor because, I don't know, people didn't even want to sleep on the top bunk. They felt too high, and the guy in the middle shook, and then the top is like, so, you know, the top bunk was about six and a half feet maybe. So some of our poor guys had never been up that high, so they were nervous. So we, they slept on the floor anyways. <laughs> They slept on the floor, literally. So they pulled the mattress down and slept on the floor. I said, why didn't you just tell me? We just fill the floor with mattresses and everybody join in. So then they all could have slept on the floor anyways. Um, 
Well, see, renting a space is hardly like, let's say, $100 for like a two, a little bedroom, two bedroom, or, you know, maybe $200 for a nice size two bedroom. So it's not hard even to rent for a couple months and just have a place for people to stay. Um, our facility, we could easily manage, you know, like a, a good family. I mean, we have space for downstairs. We have two rooms and a bathroom kind of hidden off to the side of our restaurant area and bathroom and storage room and baking room and kitchen and stuff. So we have the restaurant area where we have two rooms. So, you know, comfortably you could fit whatever, six people. We don't really care. I mean, we have enough floor room for probably 50 people, uh, probably 200 Indians. I don't know. We haven't tried yet. But, I mean, it's just where there's a will, there's a way. And so, yes, if you want something really nice and if you're coming with your family, you're coming long term, praise God. You know, we're happy. We want to grow and uh, we have needs and situations and opportunities and so hey praise god you want to come for six months rent is fairly cheap even to buy some mattresses and stuff like that it's really cheap so if we told some people coming in um you know food is super cheap if you just buy some bare minimum and it's not that bad you know if it's not an issue of temperature then you don't have to spend too much for electricity um if you want a comfortable house then you have to get some ac and things like that so your price goes up and ac is you know maybe a thousand dollar less than a thousand dollars or an AC unit to kind of cool off your house a bit. Otherwise, it's extremely hot. Um, and rent is extremely cheap, you know, maximum, let's say $200, maximum $300 for a really big house. So it's not that big of a deal for rent. And um, <clears throat> readily available, we can find stuff. We can arrange. Yeah. Yeah, we, <laughs> you use the M word and they might cut your head off even before you, you exit the country because they are really, really fiery. So, um, yeah, we just tell them we're going on mission. So, you know, you, or you're going on this, this travel around India. You're just tourists. You're sightseeing and you're tourists. So, Dehradun is also like a tourist place because we're near Haridwar, which is the, one of the devil's hubs. And then another place, Rishikesh. So, the Ganga, the Ganges River goes through there. It's the holy place. It is the most wild place you'll ever see in your life. And during the COVID stuff, bodies were piled in heaps and burnt. I mean, they burn bodies, and that's how they burn them to this day for a cremation. They lay your logs, and then they throw the body on it and burn it, and then the eldest son is supposed to smash the skull once the fire's burning enough. And I mean, it's you talk about demonic to the core, uh, an evil presence that can be felt. But uh, we're in Dehradun, so we're not there, but we can go there. It's about a 45-minute drive. Um, and it's a tourist place. So people come through all these places. So easily when you say you're coming to Dehradun and you want a tourist visa, they'll give a 10-year visa and you're free to come and go. It's a, yeah, you can use me that you're going to see me and you're, you know, you have connections. Yeah. So yeah, you can use my reference, my name, my number and you know, everything. So then they know where you're coming in India and then, you know, they have a lot more things they add to your profile and so on. Um, which is okay. A friend of mine had come during the, there was a catastrophe of the cloud break and, you know, just massive dump of rain from the sky and wiped out the whole towns and the mountains and landslides that just wiped out people. We saw the most horrific videos of people crossing over land in a little stream that turned into a lake that turned into a flood off the edge of a cliff and we just watched people swept away. But it was a destruction. And when my friend was coming, the government said, now you have to sign a legal affidavit saying you won't take any pictures. You know, kind of like you're not soliciting funds and you're not taking pictures of what's really here, good or bad, because we are the public face of what is good and what is bad. So they hide everything. So if they kill you, they hide the story and make it up and fluff it over and they know how to let it go. 
Um, so thank God, as of now, there's really not much trouble in our place. There's been a few mob attacks on a few places, but that's common. Um, but the state of UP is really intense. Uh, the state next to us that we used to live in, that was very wild. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things. So a multiple entry 10-year visa is there. So you can come for 10 years, no problem. Um, our facility is good. Uh, we have ACs. It's, it's comfortable enough so that you can actually come and enjoy the Lord rather than just like come and sweat in 100-degree humid weather and your brain not working and food too spicy that you can't eat. We'll take care of you, so don't worry about that. And uh, yes, we can fit you all. And If we need to rent a space, we can. And um, we know how to make a lot of different kinds of food. And that's one of the specialties of our restaurant is that it's unique and it's diverse. And so we want to learn to make more things. My wife did not grow up with that atmosphere. She does not know how to cook a lot of nice Indian American dishes. So it's hard to improvise. So if you know recipes and things like that, you know a lot of what you've made here and how you've made it and many things from scratch. Then when you get there, then you realize, hey, we've got this, 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 this. We can easily make all these different types of things. And so that would be an extra blessing for us, for the restaurant, and we can just go and visit families and just say, hey, okay, you adopt these two, three families, and you just keep, and you give them samples of food, and you just come there to learn language, and you go there to meet with them and preach to them, and they would love it. So, I mean, it's a lot of neat opportunities that we have, but we want godly people. You know, we want, we want that sweetness of fellowship and that expansion of example. So, I mean, people often look at me and they say I'm radical. You know, I am, but, you, you know, you can also love Jesus radically. It'll just look differently, right? We're all different. Uh, so yeah, when we when we if we know of somebody that wants to come, then we you know we have some interviews, some questions, and then yeah, there's some standards of the field, you know, some things of clothing, some things of conduct, and boys and girls relationship, and all those different things. Unless it's blessed by the parents, don't touch it. So we had some guy that went and hung out with the girls and traveled around with the girls, and it upset me. And so I've had to deal with a lot of foolish things, and so. You know, I'm not going to do that again. So I know that you won't and you wouldn't. But if you do know people that want to come to India or even meet, we're happy to talk to them. We'll share information with them. We'll, uh, you know, have a little bit of that interview type stuff. We'll share a little bit of information, you know, kind of what is good or what's expected or whatever. And it's very normal. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, you, you should be modest because the, we had these terrible groups. YWAM came and destroyed much good. They came into some areas and they brought in their music, their clothing, their CDs, their instruments, and this, this godly atmosphere, something that was very sober and conservative. Now, all of a sudden, they got all this music and this sleazy-looking girl, like mini skirts, short stuff, all this stuff, and they left their clothes as a gift. They left their music as a gift. They left their instruments as a gift and their amplifiers, and they turned that place into a wild jungle. A friend of mine who lived there later was converted or... or, or his life was changed. Maybe he was born again by hearing me preach so clearly on holiness and truth and a walk with God. And he said, I never knew it. And he said, the worst thing that happened to my city was YWAM came in. A young group of people with their instruments, their music, their wild culture, their wild clothing, their wild attitudes. And bam, they left that. And that's all they left. It's like, that's pretty discerning because I saw it. You know, and I went to preach in a church there and I had to go and pray about a block away because the music was too loud. I couldn't handle it. I thought, how am I going to preach to these people? Like, they're just, they're living so wildly in lasciviousness and ungodliness and compromise in music and in clothing and in relationships and immorality. I thought, how can I speak to these people? And even to pray, I had to go a block away. So there's a lot of sobering things. So anyways, I know you're not like that, but we do want to be careful to encourage people. Um, and we can at least share. Absolutely. And so that's what we are really careful. We want to communicate, you know, kind of culturally. India's on a neat side. Culturally, they don't have much for divorce. 
And so they stay together, even if it's extreme oppression. Usually it really is bad. Um, and they're really good in modesty. They were, and they still are in modesty. So you know, if you're walking around with a tank top or like, you know, some different types of clothing that are very common in America, people would look at you like, oh, immoral, hurry, rush your children along, don't let them see. I mean, God help us. When I first went to India, there was like no billboards of anything sleazy. Then hardly a few years later, oh, they had women's underwear and bras, models everywhere. And it was like, wow, the old generation used to go, oh, and they were angry. And even men and women, a boy and a girl, if they're walking down the street holding hands, people just stop them and beat them. Social justice, like, what are you doing walking down the street? Is this your, is this your sister? What are you doing? And they beat them or something, you know. They catch somebody kissing and beat them with a shoe. I mean, you talk about good social observation. But it's, it's unique. And it's a unique that they had a lot of good things. Also, um, culturally speaking, much more biblical in submission in families than we see in America. The wives are submitted to the husbands. The Hindu wives are submitted to the husbands. And the family life is blessed, and the children are just at rest. Even though they, like, have no discipline. Children are not disciplined almost at all until they go to school. No discipline. Some of the villagers are like, okay, you're making me embarrassed in church. They grab and twist the ear and drop the child down, and that works. I said, wow, that's pretty brutal, but it worked. (laughs) Like, wow, good job. (laughs) But otherwise, that, you never see it. Whatever the child wants, you give. However the child wants it, you give. So the child is pampered, led on its own as much as it wants. But the child knows that I want to please mommy and papa. Mommy and papa say, get good grades, get good education. That's all that matters in life. You understand me, son, you daughter? And so that son or daughter goes to school, and they start acting foolish, and the teacher comes in with a stick, and they're, they're in line now. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, what just happened? You know, like, we just got in trouble, we got hit with a stick. <laughs> like, okay, hello, sit at the desk, okay. Right, okay. You know, and so that what they never learned at home, they learn in school, and if it wasn't for the school system the way it is, India would be destroyed with sin. Because the potential is there, drugs are there, alcohol is there, but they're so afraid to not make good grades and get good jobs and get good education that they have that type of fear. So it's very, very, very interesting. So biblical submission is shining more there, right? I mean, just the nature of women to their husbands and that sense of unity, even though almost all the men are worthless. Most, almost all the men have no good conviction of anything good. Many times, most of the times, the men are just drunks. They just work and they drink and that's it. So it's quite fascinating. Um, some interesting things you would see culturally. Mostly, yeah. Hardly, you know, you, if, if you have three children, you are really strange. Two is like, okay, that's okay, that's max. Um, Muslims will have three, four, five, six, seven children. Usually one wife. Sometimes they have two wives or more. I've met some Hindu chiefs, chief leaders of the village. They had multiple wives. They, they were both kind of hanging out the window, waving at me. So both of his wives are waving out the window as we're going. So I thought that's interesting. And I asked the girl that was there. Her father was Chinese, and she was born again, and, and this and that. And I said, what do you think of that? This chief is like, he's got two wives and so many children. She said, well, at least he can afford them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, not so normal. Uh, actually, I think it's against the law. So the law does put something against that because basically it was only the, the Muslims that had multiple wives, polygamy. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Um, what can you do if you come to India? Well, it depends on who you are. Um, we prefer men to teach the classes because they're all young men and very immature, <laughs> no matter how old they might look. Um, and so usually men are using that type of thing. But um, for women, we have the restaurant work. We can teach the cooking. We can teach the cleaning. We can evangelize. That's mine, I think. So women have a lot they can do in ministering to women and the, the restaurant stuff and that type of stuff. Plus, they can minister to my wife. My wife has never had any friends. So as a girl, she had you know, no friends. So she was just close to her mom and sheltered and quiet, knew nothing of life in India, knew nothing. After marriage, she got this eye-opening shock, like, this is life. This is my country. This is terrible. And then she came to America, and she said, wow, where are all the people? And it's strange and so big and okay, but it's nice. Then we went back to India, and she just went into a reverse culture shock, like, I hate it here. Let's go back to America. <laughs> As when she came here, all the Indians that saw her said, oh, you're here for the first time? You're never going back. She said, no, no, we're going back. After you know, a few months, we're going back. Or, no, 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 you're not going back, they'd say. Yeah, we will. And so then when she got back there, then she went into shock, like, wow, it's really bad here. <laughs> and uh, uh, thank God we have developed a lot, changed a lot. Um, so we have a lot of things. So if you tell me something like you know how to sew, and you like that, well, we can easily set up some sewing classes, and we could bring in girls. And I like the, the children, and the women's ministry is just huge. If you have some godly women, that's a ministry and a half, flourishing. Because women are, are hurting, deeply hurting. They don't know anything. They don't know how to guide their family. They don't hardly know how to do anything different for food. They don't know how to do anything easy. So they only know, okay, peel the garlic for the day, take 20 minutes doing that, peel the onions, Peel the ginger, make a paste for today. Okay, now use that paste. And so each meal takes three hours maybe. And so, I mean, you're just spending so much time and energy making these different dishes and just, and if you were to see it, you'd be like, well, if you would just do it this way, you could do it really fast. And if you make a lot extra, you could freeze it. So now the freezers are available and people are starting to learn that. But still people are like, no, no, it needs to be fresh. You know, something strange it was fresh. It was just frozen just now. <laughs> so it's unique. Um, but I mean, so your practical experience in life could just be like liberty to a woman. She's just like, oh, now I can cook and I don't have to slave over this stove so long, not knowing what to do and how to do it or how to use leftovers and so on. I mean, there's a lot of neat things. Um, plus the children. I just love the children because they're really humble. And so they're taught you honor your teachers, right? By the stick. And so even the police carry a stick. It's kind of funny. And so I watched the police execute judgment. So my bicycle rickshaw, he was driving, and he tried to turn the wrong way on a one way, and the police officer stopped him with a stick. And I'm just really close to this guy, and he's hitting him. And, like, hits the bike and ready to hit his tire, and the guy's all jumping aside, and then he pulls forward a little bit. And the police officer pulls out a little knife and opens his up and ready to cut his tire. And I'm just like, no, no, no. It's like, like, I mean, like, Here's an American, like, super white guy on top of this bicycle, and you're beating this guy like, like as though I'm just some Indian villager just like everyone else. I thought, you know, okay, let him go. Like, stop. Like, I didn't know what to say. Or do. I mean, that was like, wow. <laughs> Talk about this police officer was really rowdy. And so if you're outside of the reach of his stick, you're outside of his jurisdiction. <laughs> and so he can run. And he can throw his baton. So if you're driving quick around him, he can throw his stick to hit your window, and that's equal to the ticket. So if he can break your window, break your taillight, whatever it is, you deserved it. <laughs> now they're starting to get a little bit better with the radios and stuff, but, I mean, it's been 
16 years that I've been there, they haven't changed much. (laughs) So they still execute justice with a stick. I suppose that keeps the jails pretty empty. I mean, you know, only the crooks that are caught in different ways get that punishment. So it's quite, quite exciting. Um, the culture is neat. There's a lot of good. As you come for the first time, it, it's a honeymoon. It's a nice thing. You get a lot of neat experiences, new observations, sight and smell, and it's a refreshing. You know, maybe after six months, you'd hit a wall like, oh, wow, you know, always, there's always going to be, you know, dark, dirty roaches everywhere in these houses when we go visit them. And there's, there's always going to be this dirty, rotten stuff in the tea that they give us, but we still drink it. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of unique things that uh, can be difficult. We call it hitting the wall. So, hi. My daughter came back. She came to sing with me. So, yeah, praise God. I thank God for his truth.